Wino, Crystal. And today we are continuing on our topics for ghostly encounters or haunted places because we had so much fun last time. Yes, we like spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I just had so many more locations uh, along Route 66 that I just wanted to explore. But since we got to hear mine first last time, I figured we should hear Crystal's stories the first time. This time. First time, this time? First. Okay. Okay. <laughs> first time, this time, first time. First. Yeah, I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> it's like when you say cinnamon over and over, and then when you say mm-hmm. it wrong, you it's hard to say it right again. I just discovered that one day because I think of weird things. <laughs> Try it. Say cinnamon, 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 cinnamon. And then try and say it. Cinnamon. Cinnamon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Anywho. My first story is about the cage. And yes, I'm going to get these names wrong of these places because I'm not from there. And I will try my best. Vanessa, who was originally from London, relocated to St. Osith. During her early childhood, every day on her commute to and from school, she passed by a notorious house without knowing that one day she would find herself living inside it. Hmm. She had been working elsewhere and returned for a weekend when she discovered that it was available for purchase. Vanessa had grown up listening to tales about the building's history, but she remained unaware of the mysteries that lurked behind its walls. There was a plaque on the exterior of the dwelling that provided information on who had been confined there. Besides the information she saw on that plaque, she had limited knowledge of anything else. She was aware that the space had been referred to as a witch's prison, and the previous owner had passed away by hanging himself inside the home. This place was a prison for witches. They kept witches here. They were hanged and just horrible things happened. Despite the home's past, Vanessa purchased it and moved in within a matter of weeks. She was later joined by a friend. Within the home, strange things began to happen, and these occurrences became more frequent over time. They both experienced peculiar occurrences such as taps activating and deactivating, like water taps, the TV turning on and off, and electronic gadgets malfunctioning. Vanessa has also observed phenomena like shooting stars inside the living room. What? A beverage can flying off a table, door latches moving, and wardrobe doors opening and closing by themselves. One radiant spring day, the home was warm. Vanessa left the door open to get a flow of air. 
She was watching TV when she felt movement in the room. The TV began to repeatedly flicker. It was then that a male figure with lengthy, dark, unkempt locks and creases on his face made an appearance. She said he didn't seem old, but he had prominent laugh lines that added a charming touch. She felt comforted by his presence. She recounted another story of when two friends came to visit, one a sergeant major in the army and the other an NHS worker. They casually sat on the sofa downstairs. One of them noticed blood and asked where it had come from. Vanessa disregarded the strange question at first, but her friend was persistent. He insisted she look at what he had found. She came across a multitude of blood spatters recklessly scattered across the hall floor. There were about 20 or 30 small drops on the floor. The guests questioned whether a window had been left open, if a cat had brought something inside, or if a bird had flown in. Those are all good excuses, and she did have the front door open, so... Mm -hmm. Vanessa became a mother for the first time in 2007, when she gave birth to her son, Jesse. However, the family was unable to reside in the entire property for more than a year due to safety concerns Vanessa had for her child. With all of the crazy activity going on, she was concerned for him. She confined herself to a single room and felt fear towards the rest of the house. One evening, she was lying next to her son, Jesse, when she heard a noise approaching from the staircase. The large latch on the door began rapidly moving up and down as if someone was desperately trying to get inside. Various occurrences continued to take place, such as the presence of figures in the house, slamming doors, and objects suddenly appearing in different locations. There's a door at the bottom of the stairs that is secured with a small latch. This door would frequently swing open with force. One day, Vanessa was ironing some clothes in her bedroom when she realized she had been largely confined to that room for some time. She entered the laundry room and continued her task of ironing. She found herself startled by the sudden activation of Jessie's toy train, which began chugging around her feet. She rushed towards the staircase leading to the door, and she saw an unfamiliar man standing at the top. He wore a white shirt paired with chinos, and his appearance was not reminiscent of old times. A friend suggested that Vanessa relocate to Colchester with her, and before she knew it, she had packed her bags and made the move within just two days. She had two tenants who ridden the old witch prison house. One stayed for three months, while the other for five months. Interestingly, both of them reported experiencing paranormal activity and expressed their belief that the house was indeed haunted. Vanessa visited several real estate agents over time, but they were all unsuccessful in selling her property. Some even suggested selling it at an auction for a significantly lower price. After 12 long years, the home was finally sold. God, that sucks. And I thought my house being on the market for three weeks was long. The purchaser is not superstitious, as she is well aware of the history, and is not bothered in the slightest by the purported ghosts. Well, that's lucky. Yeah. 
<laughs> Finally, <laughs> after 12 years. <laughs> yeah, after 12 long years. My next story is a house that in the pictures looks like my dream house. Super old, but gorgeous and witchy looking. I don't know. It looks like mm -hmm. heaven. <laughs> So it's the S.K. Pierce Mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts. You haven't talked about this, have you? I don't think so. I'm so worried we're going to talk about something we already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Pierce, a prosperous entrepreneur, amassed his riches as the proprietor of the prominent S.K. Pierce & Sons Furniture Company. As a result of the company's triumph and its influence on the furniture market, the town of Gardner, Massachusetts became renowned as the Chair City. What a strange thing to be known for. Chair City. <laughs> yeah. During, <laughs> I just picture all the restaurants out there, like, if you're waiting in line, <laughs> there is just a bunch of, like, chairs outside, kind of like Crockett, cr Crocodile, <laughs> Cracker, Cracker Barrel, Barrel. <laughs> Cracker Barrel. <laughs> But all of them are like Cracker Barrel. Ugh, okay. During the late 1880s, Pierce made the decision to construct a grand mansion that reflected his public status. The mansion, which spanned an impressive 7,000 square feet oh, wow. and featured 10 opulent bedrooms, was a remarkable feat of engineering and architecture for its time. The beauty of the mansion is exemplified by the hand-carved moldings and cornices that adorn the interior. Builders worked tirelessly for a year and a half to complete the estate, paying meticulous attention to every intricate detail, from the extravagant master bedroom to the humble servants' quarters. Throughout its history... The mansion played host to a distinguished guest list that included former President Calvin Coolidge, Betty Davis, Minnesota Fats, P.T. Barnum, Norman Rockwell, and was a popular gathering spot for members of the prestigious Freemason Society. Pierce, along with his family, had grand aspirations upon moving into a unique mansion, However, their hopes were dashed when his wife mysteriously fell ill and passed away shortly after their arrival. After a year of grieving, Pierce remarried a woman much younger than him and had two more children. Upon Pierce's death, his wife and three sons were left to manage ownership of both the mansion and their chair business. Unfortunately, the Great Depression took a toll on the business, causing disagreements among the siblings. Eventually, Edward, the youngest son, took over the mansion. The mansion underwent hard times as the family fortune dwindled. Edward turned the mansion into a boarding home, where some unsavory activity, such as drinking, gambling, and prostitution, became the norm. There were even tales of murder. Hmm. Murder. <laughs> It is said that a sex worker was strangled in the infamous Red Room on the second floor while another boarder, a Finnish immigrant named Vino Sari, and I say sorry because it's S-A-A-R-I, so I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he burned to death in the master bedroom in 1963. Some believe that this was a spontaneous combustion as there was little damage to the surrounding room. Another story has a young boy 
being drowned in the basement in the years. How, uh... I don't know. There were some unsavory characters up in there. Who knows what all went down? And that's just mm -hmm. stuff that was found out, you know? Yeah. In the years that have passed, visitors of the mansion have reported numerous in numerous instances of supernatural occurrences. This estate is said to be inhabited by the spirits of various individuals, including S.K. Pierce, Susan Pierce, Edward Pierce, Maddie Cornwell, David, a potential suspect in the Red Room strangulation case, a female sex worker who met an unfortunate end in the same room, as well as a boy, a girl believed to be Pierce's granddaughter, and Eno Sari. There are also reports of mysterious entities lurking in the basement of the mansion. Visitors in the haunted house have reported eerie occurrences such as apparitions moving furniture, slamming doors, chanting, and sudden temperature changes. Some have also reported smelling foul odors, feeling pressure on their bodies, and even feeling like they're being pushed downstairs or out of windows. Ooh, that's gotta be scary. Yeah. The presence of shadow people and a frightening lion's roar have also been experienced, which some believe is the resentful former owner of the home, Mr. Pierce. Ex it kind of reminds me of the monsters. Is it the <laughs> monsters that have, like, that crazy monster pet that always roars? and? Oh, okay, yeah. Experts in paranormal activity have remarked that these entities possess a superior level of ability and can harness electrical energy to move objects and physically influence their surroundings. Previous homeowners have taken great strides in uncovering the secrets of this home. Well-known paranormal groups such as those from the TV shows Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventure, and my ghost story have visited this home to learn more about these possible hauntings. The stories of this home have also been captured in books such as Haunted Massachusetts and Bones in the Basement, Surviving the S.K. Pierce Haunted Victorian, a book written by Joni Mann, chronicling the previous owner's experiences in the mansion. The house has been cited as the number two most haunted house in Massachusetts and the ninth most haunted house in the USA. Number two. Mm -hmm. I want to visit them. Well, I mean, I don't know if I do. Yes, you do. I would be yes, you interested do. to know more. Because I need a partner <laughs> to go with me. And we can. And let me, this is exactly where I'm getting to. So I'm glad you said that. Okay. So start planning. In 2015... <laughs> The Dark Carnival obtained, so I'll tell you about the Dark Carnival in a minute, but the Dark Car Carnival obtained okay. this property with the purpose of renovating the once grand Victorian mansion and restoring it to its former glory as the centerpiece of the neighborhood. When the project is completed, which I don't know if it is since this has been written, but it's probably a pretty big project to undertake over 7,000 square feet. So, but when yeah. when the project is completed, the mansion will be offered to the public for overnight stays and historical ghost tours. For those seeking a unique Halloween experience, the mansion's basement will be opened and transformed into a SK Pierce themed Halloween attraction, combining elements from both the haunted and paranormal industries. 
visitors can look forward to encountering skilled actors, advanced animations and illusions, and possibly even supernatural sights. The best part is guests can enjoy this terrifying experience without disrupting the grandeur of the mansion's main levels. So this this is only during Halloween that they're going to have like the actors and oh. and special effects and things like that in the basement only. I'm putting that out there because of what I'll tell you here in just a minute. Okay. It says, please be advised that the SK Haunted Victorian Mansion is not recommended for those easily frightened. Ghostly encounters are likely to occur within this attraction as the spirits inhabiting the mansion possess an advanced ability to influence guests physically. Thus, each guest will be required to sign a waiver acknowledging their potential risks involving involved before entering the mansion. In order to ensure a safe and enjoyable experience for all, it is important to refrain from any antagonistic behavior towards the spirits inhabiting the mansion. Now, here's where I want to tell you about what Dark Carnival is. This is straight from their website, and this is why I also mentioned that it's only Halloween that they're using actors in special effects. The Dark Carnival is a circus-themed haunted attraction established in 2010. Throughout our dynamic mix of altered illusion effects and trained actors, we have been providing scares across the state of New Jersey for the past five years. Our high-intensity shows have opened in East Brunswick, Freehold, and Bayville, and have even done a successful 18-day run at MetLife Stadium. By working with the top animators and prop masters in the haunt industry, Dark Carnival continues to stay on top of all the cutting-edge new haunt technology and will be sure to continue providing the best scares to our customers for years to come. In 2015, the Dark Carnival acquired the SK Pierce Haunted Victorian. This venture will force us to think out of the box as we no longer will be using actors and animatronics to provide our unique forms of entertainment. Now we will be relying on true paranormal elements and historical lore to provide our guests with an experience they will never forget. We hope you enjoy this one-of-a-kind experience. Oh boy. (laughs) To me, it's saying this house is so effing haunted that we don't need to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, that's a little scary. But if you remember... They said that it's open for overnight stays. You can rent it out. (laughs) So you're going to go with me. I will see. I might be too scared. And the website for anyone that is interested, although I hope you don't book the same time I book (laughs) (laughs) because the website is skhauntedvictorianmansion.com. You can go on there and find the information to book it. I don't know if it's still up and running. I have no idea. But that's what I found. And I want to go do it. And I need a partner. I'll really have to think about that one. Don't think on it too hard. (laughs) Just say yes. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) But that's all I have for tonight. Great. Okay. So I have three locations that are in, um, well, not they're not all in California, but I have three locations that I want to talk about. And they're all different haunted places and very interesting. You know, a couple of these 
are in California, or actually in the county that I reside in, and I had no idea. So, the first place I'm going to talk about is called Amboy, California. Amboy, like A-M-B-O-I, Amboy, California. Have not heard of that. <laughs> Me neither. So, like many um, little towns along Route 66, it was established because it was along the railroad, and it was a stop for people, right? Of course, like many little towns along Route 66, it had amazing, amazing years of people coming and adding money to their economy, and then, of course, like many, it fell into the Depression and became pretty much a ghost town, and Amboy, California is, you know, just, it follows that same exact prescription right there. So Amboy, just to give you some context of where it's located, it's roughly, it's like the halfway point between the town of Needles in California and the town of Barstow. And Oh, Barstow, I know. You know that one. <laughs> in Amboy, one of the most notable things there, or buildings, is called Roy's Motel and Cafe. So this motel obviously was built along Route 66 because it would be a good stopping point for people to just stop, take a rest, get some food, whatever, and then continue on their journey the next day. And everyone was like, oh, it's Roy's, and it became kind of famous, but if anybody's familiar with the interstates um, throughout the U.S., one of the major interstates is Interstate 40. And that, you know, pretty much when I drove to North Carolina from California, I was on the 40 like the entire time. So it's a pretty notable highway. So once Interstate 40 was built, you know, nobody really cared about all the towns it would be bypassing. So a bunch of these towns that were built along Route 66 became, in, in essence, these ghost towns. Like, it totally destroyed their economy. Like on the movie Cars. Oh, I actually haven't seen that movie. Oh, no. Yeah, they built an interstate around this town, and it goes downhill, and the yeah. race car helps bring people back. Hmm. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> it just became sort of just like decrepit buildings and everything. But there was somebody, as there is always somebody, who was like, hey, I want to buy this piece of land and redo it, revamp it, open it back up to all of its glory. In 2005, an entrepreneur named Albert Akura stepped in and he bought the town and the surrounding land. And he began the slow process of trying to bring the town back to life. And by 2008... He actually managed to reopen the coffee shop, which is, you know, now a small store and a gas station. So that's cool. <laughs> On November, in November um, 2019, in front of a large gathering of, the, of enthusiasts, and after it was completely refurbished, the famous Roy's Hotel and Neon sign was switched on. Because apparently, it's a staple and it's very iconic when you're driving along Route 66 and you see that Roy's neon sign. Alright, um, that was just a very quick nutshell history about this Roy's Hotel, but now I'm going to get into the haunting. Um, or in this case, it's kind of less haunting, more like demonic and culty and like, what? Ooh. I was Yeah, I was not prepared for you know, this kind of thing when I was reading up on <clears throat> haunted Route 66 attractions. All right. She wasn't ready. <laughs> I know. So <laughs> apparently 
In the town of Amboy and like the areas around it, many believe that there are satanic cults and demon worshippers that have pretty much set up their home base and they're hidden out there in the desert and they like to look for victims to use for their evil rituals. So here's a story that came from a U.S. Marine who was driving from the from 29 Palms to Las Vegas, okay? So he said that he was driving the back roads and he was headed for the I-40, the Interstate 40, and he was heading up a road called Kell Baker Road, which was it's which is near the town of Amboy. Whenever he was on that road, he came across a red car which was completely blocking the road in both directions. It was a really small road. So he's sitting there, he's like, um, this is weird. He sees the red car, and then he sees a man and a woman lying face down in the street as if they had been it's injured a trap. Or, or killed. It's a <laughs> trap. <laughs> so he's like, um, well, I'm trained to sur- like survey a situation and figure out the proper course of action. But he was kind of like nervous, right? He's like, this doesn't seem right. So what he did is he reached for his sidearm and he carefully drove around the car and the people and everything. So once he had driven past them and he was back on the road again, he looked in his rear view mirror and he said that when he looked back he saw the couple on the ground were getting up and that a full 20 people started getting up from hiding places around the tall grass so oh. yeah he was like obviously really startled and scared and he was like oh my god what would happen to me if i actually stopped to help them but apparently there's been other similar stories like this one that happens around amboy california so i'm going to avoid that place now that um you know, I know that kind of story. <laughs> Keep on going. Terrifying. Yes, I know. Um, this next story about Amboy, it's still in the same location, though not um, completely about a trap per se. But there's this woman and her sister, and they were driving from San Francisco to New Mexico. And they decided that they were going to stop in Amboy to see the famous Roy's. They were wandering around, take pictures, and they were going into different cabins. And apparently when they were exploring these cabins, they were entering the motel lobby, like, illegally. Because they had to climb through a window. Um, But after... (laughs) I know. (laughs) But after exploring the lobby for a little bit, the woman's sister, she's like, I want to go outside. I need to smoke a cigarette. And the other lady was like, okay, sure, go ahead. I'll be around. So whenever um, she finally finished, like, looking in the lobby, she was like, I'm going to go find my sister. But she couldn't find her. She looked in the gift shop. And then she talked to the only other person she could find in town. But he said that he hadn't seen her sister. So this woman, yeah, this woman wandered around for a little bit and she was calling out her sister's name. But then suddenly she heard her sister's voice coming from inside the church over there at Amboy. So she hears it. She's thinking like, oh, my God, this is creepy. She enters the church and she can see her sister standing near the altar. Her sister's hand was over her own mouth, and there was blood streaming from between her fingers. Her sister's clearly in some, like, 
danger. So the girl's like, oh my God, I'm going to go get her. So she's about to run for her sister, but then she heard a woman say, stop, you know, and pretty much like frightened her. So she like paused. And then the girl, she, she looked at that woman who yelled stop. (laughs) And she said that her eyes were completely black and she had a maniacal look on her face. But she was like, I don't fucking care what you say. So she continued on to go rescue her bleeding sister and take her out of the church. Yeah. And apparently whenever she was, like, ushering her sister out of the church, that crazy woman was harassing them and cursing them and scaring them, like, to no end. Apparently, the woman and her sister never um, had been the same after the encounter. Like, the sister was a little bit traumatized, and it said that she lost all joy from her life after leaving the town. And um, the woman was even like, I looked at my sister one day, I mean, whenever we were driving home from Amboy, and her eyes were just as black as that deranged woman. But nothing has happened to her sister or, you know, anything like that. And she's obviously scared that her sister will become the same sort of deranged, but... Oh, and... creepy. I had my foot sticking out of my little fort that I have here, and mm-hmm. you said her eyes were the same color, and I can't keep my foot out of my fort because something will grab it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You're always safe under the blankies. <laughs> okay. There's another, um, like, odd... I don't want to say this is scary, but it's odd. I mean, it could be scary to some people. About Amboy... This one was from, like, an amateur photographer who went by to take pictures of the Roy's Motel and take pictures of the cabins and such. And whenever he took pictures of one of the cabins and he had the photos um, developed, he noticed that there was a bunch of blood splattered all over the wall. And he was like, hmm, I didn't notice all this blood splatter when I was taking the picture. And... He was kind of hoping that maybe it was, like, left over from a movie or something. <laughs> or a piece of artwork. <laughs> but he, understandably, didn't really investigate. He just kind of went on with it. But there's obviously lots of um, reportings from people who live around Amboy. And, I mean, there's, like, way too many to, like, say. But there's this other report that I want to talk about, though, because, you know, we're teachers. And it happens to be at a schoolhouse. And in this particular schoolhouse in Amboy, um, it the reports about the ghosts at the school, they were coming since before the school had closed down. So, like, the teacher who used to teach there, like, she was reporting things. And it wasn't just, like, after everything closed down. So it was already there. So this former teacher, she said that many, many times while working late, she would get the feeling being watched. And she was always feeling like someone was following her and it made her very uncomfortable and it made her feel overwhelmed. One night feeling became very intense and she stopped preparing and she said that happened a few times. Another thing that was more notable is when the teacher and the students would turn to see who was coming to the front door because, you know, when a door opens, you can hear it, right? So they all looked to see who's coming and... The door's just opening very slowly, and nobody's coming in. Nobody was ever seen. Oof. So the it's like the kids and the teacher were like, eh, I think we'll just not talk about this. We're just going to ignore this. So creepy. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but I guess also like in the gym when you know basketball games are being played, things would be moved around in the locker rooms, and like bags would be moved from one locker to another, and they would like the players who place things, and they're like, oh, I know I put my shoes here, or, oh, I know I put my whatever here, it would be somewhere else. So there's somebody who likes to play tricks over there and move all of the athletes' stuff. I'm like, I'm wondering, does that spirit want to cause a fight because i feel like locker room <laughs> issues like that would definitely cause the yelling match like why you took my deodorant Wait, that's <laughs> why did you take my deodorant it's <laughs> so funny i mean i think it might be because there's also like there's in the school year there's some swings and even on like super windless days the swings would just start swinging <laughs> And then all of a sudden, it's been reported that it would just stop, like, be completely still. Not even, like, slow down swinging or anything, but just stop and be still. <laughs> That's creepy. Um, finally, on this topic of Amboy, there's a couple of statues that were built not too far from Amboy. And it might actually be a good omen, a good thing. Because maybe somebody knew that there was just a lot of crazy stuff happening and they're like you know what i think the people in and around amboy need some protection so sometime oh you probably hear my dogs barking so sometime around 2013 two chinese guardian statues they appeared about four miles away from amboy and it's directly along route 66 so these statues are about six feet tall and they're yin and yang statues and they're, they're actually traditionally known as food dogs. So historically, these statues are guardians. And they guard palaces and temples and tombs and other places of importance. And they would often, like, flank the entrances. And they do stand a quarter mile apart from each other. And they're about 100, um, 100 yards off of Route 66. Nobody knows how they got there or why. They just so kind of They're just appeared. randomly there? Yeah. So maybe I kind of like to think that um, they were put there to help those in Amboy get some peace. You know what I mean? It's just so strange. There's like no buildings mm -hmm. around them. They're just the statues. Yeah, they're just they're just the statues. Huh. Um, hold on. Let me see if I can find a picture and I'll send it to you. Um, while you're looking for a picture, mm -hmm. you were talking about the scary story. Um at the school, did I ever tell you about the scary thing that happened to me when I, the first time I substituted? Mm -mm, I don't think so. I might have already said it on here. I don't know, but I'm going to say it again because <laughs> it still gives me the heebie-jeebies. So it was grad school, and we, we had to present our final, uh, our final research projects of the year that we've been researching all, all year, we had to present it to a panel of doctorates. So, mm -hmm. so one group of us would go and present while the other group would go and sub for their classes because we were intern teaching. Well, while the other group was presenting and I was subbing for one of their classes, I was walking around the room watching them work on their, their paperwork it was dead silent. They were just working. They were perfect little kids. And then the silence is broken by them in complete unison, without looking up, without looking at each other, still looking down at their papers as if nothing has changed. In unison, they all start singing, 
One, two, Freddy. No, four, no, three, I'm not three, listening. Four. Oh yes. my god, that's so creepy. In freaking unison, they sing that whole song and never once looked up, even when it ended. Didn't look up, didn't make a I noise. Feel, I'm sure the kids just wanted to play a prank on their substitute, you know. Right, but how kids do. on earth do they start that in unison with nobody looking at each other, no, no cue, you know, nothing. It was, it was creepy. And especially such young kids. I think it was like first mm-hmm. grade, first or second grade. And nobody giggles. Nobody cracks a smile. Nobody flinches. They all have straight faces. Nothing changes. It was the scariest thing I ever. would be creeped out too. Like, I am never subbing here again. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was okay with leaving that class quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So um, I sent you... you the pictures. Oh, okay. sorry. No, that's what I was going to ask. Oh, wow. They're big. Yeah. And they're intricately carved marble. Yes. Marble. Oh, my gosh. Just who would even marble? That's expensive, people. How are you going to just intricately carve marble and randomly leave it out in the middle of the desert? And it is in the middle of the desert. There's nothing. It's a field somebody with a backdrop of mountains. That place and area needed some guardians, apparently. And I'm sure the people nearby are happy that they have some guardians now. I'm sorry. This is super interesting. Whoever did carve them, how did they even trans- transport all of those? It would weigh a, a ton. I mean, and then how would they even get it off the truck or whatever and put it... That is crazy. I'm assuming like a diesel <laughs> or something. But, but they're like I'm in the left. middle of a field with like ton of tons of mm-hmm. cacti and whoever they are, I'm sure people are like, it's our guardian's guardian. It was aliens. <laughs> aliens. Aliens. Asian <laughs> aliens because they're Asian statues. So they're it's Asian aliens. Asian aliens. Asians. 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 Anyway, (laughs) the next location, the next location I'm going to talk about is called the Harvey House. Have you heard of the Harvey House? No. Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay, okay. So, I'm going to start with who built the Harvey House, and his name was Fred, you guessed it, Harvey, Fred Harvey. Um, And he immigrated... Oh, I was just, I was in shock that his last name was Harvey. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, shocking. Um, so he came to the United States from London when he was 15 years old, and he arrived in New York City in 1850. He always kind of liked the food service industry. He got a career in that industry. He was moving from city to city to city all while growing up. He would move from restaurant to restaurant. He was like, you know what? I kind of like the aspect of these food businesses. So he studied the business side and then the food aspects of being like a restaurateur. And he did this traveling and studying from New York all the way to New Orleans. He finally ended up in St. Louis where he worked until he was ready to open up his own place. Um, this part actually, this first one that he opened actually kind of failed, but he was like, I'm going to lift myself up by my bootstraps and try this again. After his restaurant failed, he was like, I'm just going to take a job with the railroad. 
It was in Topeka and Santa Fe. Whenever he was working for the railroad, he was with Lions Food Service. At the time when he was working, food was not served on the trains. And if the passengers ever wanted any food, they'd have to wait until the train came to like a station or a restaurant. Or apparently some people would even just jump off the train and they would eat or they would eat at the railroad's small, small, small food shop or head into town. So if you're hungry enough. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty dang hungry to just jump off a train. Mm hmm. With, with this in mind, and he's like, man, people spend a lot of time on these trains and they get so hungry. He's like, I have an idea. <laughs> so he thought that if he had a place that was close to train stations and rails and he pretty much would focus on the needs of passengers and trains, he was like, you know what? I think this might be a good business. So he got money to build it and he opened a dining room in the Santa Fe Depot of Topeka, Kansas. Apparently, Harvey, he was like, I am not going to make this some bland, quick food. And he made some elaborate menu items like steaks. He used fresh potatoes and vegetables and wine and beer and yummy, yummy dessert. It was all at a reasonable price for the time. And it was in a dining room that had fancy linens and china. And, you know, it, it was like they were having an experience. Like it wasn't just a restaurant, a rest stop for these guys. So these, this Harvey house was very, very, very successful. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a hotel to go along with the eatery. And over time, he would open more and more of those, of these hotels and eat eateries along that Santa Fe rail line. So he didn't just have one Harvey house. He had multiple, like he had a whole chain. That's kind of a cool brief history. Um, I'm going to mention he had these employees. They used to be all male, but he started employing girls only and they were referred to as Harvey girls and I know it might sound kind of creepy but he treated his waitresses with the utmost respect and trained them very well and he had great expectations for them and th these girls they would have to be edu educated and and proficient in waitressing and customer service and manners and everything like that what year was this um 1883 oh dang yeah that's that is really like ahead of his time business wise yeah. and apparently like a bunch of women like this was what they wanted to do they were it was like a, being a harvey girl was a sought after position like they would go to freaking college and then hope that like you know they learned enough to be considered to be one of Harvey, like a Harvey girl. And they were paid um, an excellent wage. They were even provided free room and board. So it was so it's definitely... like a Hugh Hefner of the restaurant industry. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I didn't see anything where it was like, you know, skeevy or anything, but yeah. Apparently there was a musical about them called The Harvey Girls, and this musical was made in 1946, so... And it was featuring Judy Garland, so that's I, oh, something interesting. I definitely yeah, I might watch that. In. Yeah. Um, we can watch okay. it while we're in the the um, Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the Harvey house that I want to focus on for this story is actually the Harvey house that is in Barstow, California. Again, I had no idea. And Barstow is so close to me. Current days, Barstow is just kind of like a pit stop on your way to Vegas. You just want to stop, get some lunch, fuel up on gas, stretch your legs a little bit, then you continue on. But 
Back in the day, there was an amazing Harvey house there in Barstow, California. It was called, and I'm so sorry because I don't speak Spanish, but Casa del Deserto. Deserto. (laughs) I'm just going to call it the Barstow Harvey house because I just don't want to butcher it. And I'm sorry, guys. During World War II, it had a great business. It was booming and they had a bunch of soldiers and military personnel come through it. And great. Cool. Okay. So now let's get on to the specifics for why this particular Harvey house is haunted. The tales of this place having supernatural occurrences have been coming long before the um, the station closed in the 1960s. Again, so there's just a bunch of stuff already happening. And there is one notable apparition, and his name is Buchanan. Apparently, he's a gentleman. They say that he is the spirit of a man who was crushed between rail cars when he was working in the rail yard. Whenever people came to the scene to rescue him, they knew it was too late, um, but he was still able to, like, talk. So they asked him, like, what is what were his dying wishes, and he wanted to see his family and to have one last cigarette. They couldn't get his family there in time, but it was said that he did die with a cigarette between his lips. Um, because of this, people know when Buchanan is nearby because they can smell cigarette smoke and it's very noticeable and as you know in the state of california you're not allowed to smoke indoors like it's banned this man you know sometimes i see him in the buildings around sometimes whenever people are waiting for their trains they would claim that they saw a gentleman standing by the door and looking out like he was waiting like maybe he was waiting for his family to arrive (laughs) But um, he would stand there for a minute or two, and then he would fade. But apparently, whenever this place was being restored, the spirit would often be glimpsed watching the people work. And sometimes they said that it seemed like he was trying to help them. Oh. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So even today, when like people are working in the offices that are in the Harvey house... Or those like who are working at the like a welcome desk in the lobby, they'll still catch that smell of cigarette smoke, and then they would see like a wispy figure, like kind of move really fast nearby. People don't really know what's keeping him, but they they hope that because he's such a gentleman, they hope that he will find peace one day and you know move on, be with his family. Okay, still the same location, different occurrence. There is a blogger by the moniker Dynamic Writer. Apparently that's what they call themselves. And (laughs) they wrote the following um, about Harvey House in 2013. Like they wrote about their experience. And I'm just going to, to read a short quote. A shadow lingered around the corner of my eyes as I began to approach the railroad depot. I felt hot wind touch my face. I was later greeted by a cold draft upon entering the front door. It was as if someone was running out the front door, spirit-wise, end quote. So this same phenomenon is something that happens frequently when you enter the Barstow Harvey House, which is kind of cool about this Harvey House is that they allow paranormal investigators to book a private investigation at this Harvey house. According to the people who have visited, it's very, very rare not to witness some sort of paranormal activity. 
All right, so there was this psychic medium named Victoria Ruffalo. They investigated, or she investigated the Harvey house several times. And she said the following about what she has experienced there at the Harvey house in Barstow. Quote, we are always greeted by the Harvey girls when we arrive. These spirits treat us with utmost respect and hospitality. The staff at the Harvey house is always present and welcoming. There are other spirits here, however, who are who not only want to leave, but are unable to pass on for various reasons. One such spirit is a man down in the basement of the depot. I first met the spirit when a group of us went down the stairs. As I set foot on the dark floor, I was immediately drawn to an area where I heard a male voice pleading, Help! He kept repeating, Stop! Stop! Help! Please! I began to feel a pain in my head, had a hard time breathing, and dropped to the floor. I realized that what I was feeling was the spirit being hit on the head by two other men with shovels. The next thing I felt was dirt being thrown over me as if I was being buried alive. After this, the spirit described himself as a drifter whom the other men despised and had decided to murder. The entire experience was horrific. While these feelings had been washing over me, my husband, Joe, saw that I was distressed, and the tour guide we were with came over and between them convinced me to head outside for fresh air and regain my bearings. As I left the building and headed for the trains next to the Harvey house, I felt the tortured spirit of the drifter leave me. The tour guide's wife was already outside, and as I explained to her what had happened, she told me that the same thing had happened to her. She told me that after her encounter with the spirit of the basement, she had done research and had found that there had been a man buried in the basement exactly where the two of us had our experiences. Oh, man. Joe and I went back to the Casa del Deserto a few years later and went back to the basement to see if the spirit had finally passed on. I found him still there, and this time he told me that all he wanted was to not be forgotten and that he was scared. I told him that no matter what, I would never forget him. He seemed relieved after that I told him this, and all feelings of fear and longing that I had felt from him left me. There is a little girl that is well known at the Harvey house, but few know about her playmate and brother. I was told that they are waiting for their father. They say that he is due on the next train. Their mother is there with them, and she always tries to stop them from running out the front doors, but is never successful. The mother never seems to notice me or anyone else. The kitchen staff is always busy, and the walkway to the dining room is filled with staff waiting to serve their guests. I have seen guests waiting in the dining rooms, eager to taste the wonderful food, and I have heard their laughter as they enjoy each other's company. All in all, I can honestly say that the, our Harvey house has its share of spirits, both happy and sad. End quote. Oh, wow. <sighs> Yeah. So clearly Buchanan isn't the only spirit that's haunting the Harvey house. There is this spirit that is known as Rachel and she's often seen walking along a balcony. Nobody knows who she is, but some people claim that she's a former Harvey girl that's just going about her business. And other people say that she is the bride to be of a soldier who was supposed to be coming home from war and he hasn't returned. So, because there's two different stories for this woman, 
they have two different causes of death. Um, so in the case of the first theory, the one that says that she's a Harvey girl, the story is that she was nice to a male customer and he got the wrong idea about what her niceness meant and she rejected him and he decided to kill her in a fit of rage. And this doomed her for an eternity to haunt the place. (laughs) That's so disgusting. I know, and you know that happens, like, in real life, too, like, and I hate it, like, sometimes men. Now, if Rachel was the woman who was waiting for her fiancé, it says that she passed because whenever she was waiting for her true love to come back during World War One, she realized that he was never coming home, and she decided to jump from a balcony. No. Regardless of, I know, regardless of the truth behind Rachel's spirit, It does appear that she's a residual haunting brought by extreme emotion from her scenario. So um, for those who don't know, a residual haunting is like a loop that it plays over and over and over again without its ability to stop playing. And it doesn't really um, interact with its surroundings. It just does its thing. I wonder if there's really no spirit in a residual haunting at all and it's just an energy like a pocket of energy that is on repeat Mm -hmm. okay here's the next one is kind of silly but not silly but like endearing i want to say because this next spirit here at the harvey house is a little kid you know i mean yeah that's sad you know because nobody knows who the child is and apparently they've tried to do some um research but there's no records of a child passing away nearby or at the harvey house but regardless it's a little child. I kind of think, like, if there's no records, maybe it was an adult who passed away and they were happiest in their child state. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, these reports um, say that they're, they're a pleasant child and they'd like to play. She is mostly seen at the lobby at the Harvey house and, like, the staircase that's around it. People say that they will hear the sound of laughing and giggling, and she'll try to lure people into a game of tag, and <laughs> they'll she'll play, like, peekaboo for those wanting to play peekaboo. That's creepy. <laughs> um, to play peekaboo with a ghost. I mean, is they see? Yeah, I mean, it looks like she—nobody has said that it's, like, weird, but they just said that she wants to play, you know? Yeah, but when you and open your so eyes it, to say peekaboo, what are you going to see? um so some paranormal investigators they say that they hear her giggle whenever they review their like recorders they hear her running around and talking to them and engaging with them like trying to get them to be playful and stuff like that and apparently they've even heard um her like crying because she couldn't get people to play with her oh i just yeah. She's lonely. She just wants to play. Yeah. Yeah, she's lonely. I think, you know, it's kind of sweet that she's somebody just wants to... She just wants friends. Yeah, just wants to play. Yeah, that's what I was like. What's the word? Companions like that Casper. are other people? Friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's always trying to find friends, but they're always scared of him. Yeah. That is all I have for the Harvey house. Um, There's obviously way more occurrences that happen at the Harvey house than what I've said, but I just have a few notable ones that are kind of funny and a little sad sometimes, but still interesting in my humble opinion. So this last location is called the Aztec Hotel. 
Have you heard of that one? Nope. Okay. <laughs> the Aztec Hotel, on a side note, the architecture of the Aztec Hotel is actually Mayan revival architecture. <laughs> but <laughs> apparently the person who designed it, they thought that people wouldn't really know who the Mayans were, but Aztecs were pretty popular, so that's why they called it the Aztec Hotel, but it had the, the Mayan architecture. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> this Aztec Hotel, it was opened in 1925, and it had 36 guest rooms. And it had a supper club, a dance hall, retail shops, coffee shops, and a bunch of amazing things. And also, this Aztec Hotel was in session at the height of the Bro Prohibition era, and the basement was a speakeasy. Um, it's also rumored that the apartments and one or two of the hotel rooms were used as like brothels <laughs> to serve people coming into the speakeasy. Ooh. So it was just a place that served a bunch of tastes or people, different entertainments and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know what you mean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the creators of the Aztec Hotel, obviously, they wanted it to be like super duper popular. And it, honestly, it was for a while because even um, celebrities like Clark Gable, Tom Mix and Bing Crosby would come. But alas, their visitations could not save the Aztec Hotel from declining. Whenever the Hollywood crowd or like the celebrities stopped coming to the Aztec Hotel, <laughs> the town itself that it's in Monrovia, it became an area for lots of drug addicts, games, like unhoused people, and it just became kind of a hangout for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A hangout for... Um, the unfortunate. The unfortunate, yeah. It was like this for a long time. The city in Monrovia and the Aztec Hotel was just kind of like being used for as brothel or being used to, to drugs or whatever. It was actually registered at, in the National Register of Historical Places in 1978. So they're thinking that maybe this could like help save it, but it wasn't super duper successful. But the city of Monrovia, they always wanted to preserve their history, and they decided to redevelop it in the late 70s. By the early 80s, Monrovia had kind of cleaned up the drug crowd and the gangs and all the criminal stuff that was in the city and in the Aztec Hotel. And in 18, sorry, in 1983, the hotel's restaurant and the bar opened again, and they called it the Brass Elephant. The hotel was still being used as low-income housing, and the restaurant had some businesses, but... Well, sorry, the, the restaurant did have some, like, customers and stuff like that and some business, but the hotel, it did suffer economic hardships. So, in 1990s, it was purchased by someone else, and, you know, they were trying to restore it some more, yada, yada. Okay, so again, that's just like a, a brief history on the Aztec Hotel. Yeah. was once great, had like a downfall, of course, and then kind of became greater again once it was bought and sold. But here comes to why the Aztec Hotel is haunted. So, of course, because it does have a long history of, you know, shady characters <laughs> around it, it's not hard to believe 
that this is pretty haunted. In fact, even the Los Angeles Times admitted to the many spirits that are still at the Aztec Hotel. In um, 2001, the article the Times wrote, quote, for architectural historians, the Aztec is a gem, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. But its other fans include psychics and mediums who were enthralled by a hotel where some guests may never have checked out. End quote. In this article, they say there's at least a dozen spirits there. The most active spirit, according to this article, is the sex worker who calls herself Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> Razzle Dazzle. Yeah. Now I keep on thinking of exactly, the thing Chicago. It's exactly what, what went <laughs> through my head. <laughs> so she was born in Kansas and she is said to have dark hair and she would style her hair in the 1920 finger, finger wave style. And she carries a long cigarette holder that's definitely symbolic of the Roaring Twenties. Yes. It is said that her and a John retired to her room, room 120, and apparently they began arguing over her price. And the man was like, oh, you're just blah, 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 and got angry mm -hmm. and shoved her. And then she fell and struck her head and died. And... Oh. I know. Why is it always like men getting angry? Gosh. Okay. So a, a psychic told a reporter that she could see many customers in evening clothes and they were having a good time and laughing and drinking and dancing and just having um, a view of like a, a smoke filled room was common. And she stated that whenever the psychic stated, whenever she was there, she was actually led to a room where a lot of money was being laundered or had been laundered, and that the Jazz Age bookkeeper for the hotel led her to this room and others with paranormal significance. So in the lobby of this hotel, there's a bathroom, a girl, a woman's bathroom. So before the hotel had closed, many ladies said that whenever they were using the bathroom, the doors would just swing open while they're using the stall, no. even though their doors were latched. I know. And they say that voices were heard in the restroom. And some people say they heard their names being called. And others were like, when we were freshening up in the mirror, we saw these scary faces. Yeah. Oh so gosh. it was reported that they were seeing faces in the mirror. Like, mm, let's bless our mirrors and not have to deal with that. <laughs> so even today when people are touring the hotel, a lot of people will catch glimpses of like wispy shadows just walking around. And they're only visible for like a second. And then they're gone. Many people believe that these figures are spirits of the women who worked in the brothel. There was a paranormal group that investigated the Aztec in 2004. They claimed that that basement room, which they call the green room, held a portal and it acted as a doorway for spirits to come and go. And remember, the basement was where it was there was the speakeasy. So you never know what kind of would have happened in the basement there. People who worked at the hotel over the years say that they hear voices and unusual sounds coming from this room and they hear the sound of a growling dog sometimes there is this employee and he has a lot to say so i'm going to go over all of his accounts now and he is the mayan bar and grill manager and his name is willie flores after you hear what he's gone through and what he's witnessed, I have no idea why he decided to continue working, but apparently 
he's made good with, you know, the spirits <laughs> that are there and, you know, it's not too scary anymore for him. <laughs> Willie, this, this dude, Willie, he said that right after he was hired, he was walking through um, a room and he was hearing whistles, like whistling. And he was looking around, he saw nobody nearby and he was like, uh, maybe it's just an echo from the street or parking lot, whatever. So he'd walk through the room and he'd hear the same whistles as he was walking through thinking, maybe I'm just, or somebody's just extra giddy today and wanting to whistle. Um, but you know what? Every time he would walk through the same place, he would hear those whistles. And sometimes he would hear the whistle get closer and closer to his ear. And of course he was like, oh, this is kind of freaking me out. So he was like, hey, whoever is doing this, please stop whistling at me. And he said that he never heard the whistles again. (laughs) But he said that his co-worker still did. And so I'm like, at least they were um, respectful of his his request. You know, that's all I can say there. Yeah. Um, Another incident that happened whenever he was first hired was when he was in the lobby. And he saw that a man was sitting down in a chair that was placed like between the VIP room and the hotel lobby. He saw the man had black hair and he was wearing black pants and a green shirt. He thought that um, this man was waiting for the bar manager. So Willie went to go get her. He told her that someone was waiting for her. So confused, the manager is like, okay, take me to them. So Willie showed her to the person who was waiting in the chair. But whenever they got there, there was nobody there. At this point, the manager kind of told him about the ghosts that were occupying the hotel and Willie was like oh great thanks for telling me (laughs) but he said that ever since then um he keeps like a tablecloth over the chair so that he won't have to see the spirit again oh man so he has good coping mechanisms (laughs) so about after uh four months of him working he was going to the walk-in cooler and he was supposed to be getting a case of beer cool normal thing that you do. So it was around 1030 at night. And there was even a few people still like on the bar patio, just waiting and they're just hanging out because it's only 1030 at a bar. Mm-hmm. There's still going to be people, right? But the VIP room, it was empty. So he was leaving the cooler after getting there. And mind you, so the cooler is really close to the VIP room. That's like how it is. And that's kind of the only people who would have access to him, but he knew it was empty. So while he was walking with the beer, he felt that someone was watching him and he continued to walk out to the patio bar, but then his head began to hurt and his legs were starting to feel heavy. And whenever he was near the center of the room, he said that he felt someone come up and push him from behind. Oh gosh. He looked around and he was like, nobody was there, but he knew he was like, no, somebody pushed me, but they just weren't there. But once he got back to the bar, he was like, hey, Mr. Bartender, dude, um, don't have me go back to the cooler because I'm going to say no. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't blame him. No way. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Another time, whenever he was working in the section of the Aztec Hotel where there was like apartments, he began hearing someone calling his name. And it sounded that they were, like, calling his name from far away. And he was like, oh, this must be the manager because there's only the manager here. And so I just I'll go see what she wants. So he went up to ask her what was up. And she was like, I didn't call you. Hmm. And apparently that happened a lot. What? 
Whoever keeps on following Willie just likes to call out his name. And from afar, and eventually I'm sure he just started ignoring it. He also says that like many people and himself, they see spirits in like the hallways. and But they're more like shadows of people rather than like solid op- apparitions. Mm-hmm. And he says that it's kind of impossible to tell if the ghosts or boys or girls are in between. But there is still the speculation that most of them are sex workers. He says that the people who say that they're sex workers are the the psychics that come to visit, but he he doesn't want to say yes or no because he calls them dubious. <laughs> um, well, you never know. He, yeah. <laughs> so he he's like I'm just he just reports like what he knows and everything, and um, little bits of tidbits of what other people say. Oh, and he did have something to say about the portal that people said was in the green carpet room in the basement. And he was like, "Eh, I don't know. Um, He doesn't really know who originally said it. And he said that he's never noticed anything unusually, like, active in that room. But he did say that they have a lot of tunnels running under under it. So maybe that's what was going on with the portal there. Because, like, a tunnel is a literal physical portal, I guess. (laughs) Um, And he also did say for those who are residing in the apartments at the Aztec Hotel, it has very minimal activity. And so that's probably good for the residents and, you know, them not getting freaked out every night. Yeah. What I just do find interesting is just the fact that, you know, he's so chill with it. And he's like, yeah, all this has happened to me. And, you know, I just keep on keeping on. (laughs) and that is all i have for tonight the last tidbit from the aztec hotel (laughs) that was awesome thank you i hope you guys all enjoyed the story sorry if i talked a little bit too fast it was just kind of exciting it was very interesting i am just so tired tonight happens to the best of us sleep why do we have to sleep i know especially with like full-time working moms it's Mm -hmm. exhausting yeah and you have two babies and i just have one so i'm sure you're doubly exhausted (laughs) i'm so tired (laughs) yeah all right guys so if you enjoyed the show please give it a like follow us on facebook maybe follow and subscribe to our podcast comment share anything yes and if you have your own stories of any of these places that were mentioned tonight please tell us we would love to hear yes and our facebook um you can you can comment and share whatever you like and it also has pictures and videos that go along with our topics and shows and email us your stories so that we can share them we would love love to have your stories to share about anything it doesn't have to be ghosts it could be aliens or creatures or a weird dream you had (laughs) a weird dream anything send us your stories yeah so and send it to witchin and whining at gmail.com that's w-i-t-c-h-n a-n-d w-i-n-e in at gmail.com all right so hope you guys all have a safe night (laughs) good night
I'm a ghost. Ah, a ghost scared me. <laughs>